Morning, church. How you doing? Hey, how good is it to be living north of the border right now? How good is it to be in the greatest state in the nation of Australia? Can I get an amen at least? Are there any New South Wales supporters here? Just raise your hand. Come on, confession time. We've got a couple. All right. We'll be praying for you after the service. We'll have tissues, commiserations. And so this morning I was actually, I wanted to preach a message about, you know, how to win in life when you're two points behind and you're 12 men down and how you fight adversity. That's what I wanted to preach. But then I remembered, no, Jared, you need to be spiritual and holy and this is church and that's probably not going to apply, but it is so good to be a Queenslander. The sun always shines in Queensland. And if you're from New South Wales, well, I don't know. I won't lie to you, church. The, uh, the preparation for this message uh, today has been uh, a little short. In fact, I've had less than 24 hours to prepare a message. And uh, our pastoral and uh, preaching team uh, this week really has been decimated by sickness. And so uh, I received uh, a text message at about lunchtime yesterday uh, saying, hey, uh, the, the person rostered on to preach today is unavailable. Uh, what do you think we should do? And so uh, usually it takes sort of between six to ten hours, depending on how you're inclined to prepare a message. And obviously I didn't have that time. And so today's message I'm actually going to preach. I've preached... Um, I've preached it to other pastors, I've preached it to other leaders, I've preached it in other churches, and for the life of me, I can't actually remember whether I've preached it on this platform. So if you're hearing it and you're like, I've heard this somewhere before, chances are it's true. But like all good messages, you know when you get on a plane and you hear the safety flight instructions every single time? And everybody sort of just puts their headphones on and switches off. It's not until the plane goes down that you're trying to remember where the oxygen mask comes from and what the brakes position looks like. And so sometimes it's always good to be reminded and refreshed. At least that's my justification. All right. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd love it if you could turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to read a couple of verses this morning. Mark chapter 11. We'll throw it up on the screens for you. Uh, You can also follow along through the Bible app as well. says this, The next day as he, he being Jesus, left Bethany, Jesus was feeling hungry. He noticed a leafy fig tree in the distance. And so he walked over to it to see if there was any fruit on it. But there was none, only leaves, for it wasn't yet the season for bearing figs. Jesus spoke to the fig tree saying, No one will ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples overheard him. Then fast forward to Mark chapter 11, verse 20, six verses down. In the morning, so this is the next day, they passed by the fig tree that Jesus spoke to and it was completely withered from the roots up. Peter remembered and said to him, Teacher, look, that's the fig tree you cursed. It's now all shriveled up and dead. Jesus replied, let the faith of God be in you. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that it changes us, that it transforms us, that it challenges us. God, that we would walk out of church today with an impartation of heaven and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Several years ago, I was at a, a, a youth conference. And at this particular youth conference, uh, I looked similar to one of the guest speakers at the conference. We had uh, the same eye colour, we had the same haircut, we even dressed fairly similar. And this was, uh, I guess, in a time and an age where young people sort of, uh, you know, when there was a guest speaker, it was almost like a celebrity kind of approach to the guest speaker. And I'm not saying that's right, but that's just how it was at this particular conference. And so uh, one of the guest speakers that I looked like was speaking in the morning, in the morning session. And after he spoke, there was a big crowd of uh, people and I was sort of sitting towards the front of the auditorium. And so there was a whole bunch of young people wanting to speak to the guest speaker, speak to the person, you know, who just preached for 45 minutes. And because I looked similar, some young people came up to me and they mistook me for the guest speaker. And so I did what any honest pastor would do. I went along with it. And they said, oh, we're so grateful for your message, you know, just thanks so much for sharing. It was so inspiring. And I just said, hey, look, I'm just so glad it blessed you. And so for the duration of the conference, every time that guest speaker preached, I would always have people coming up to me, asking for a photo, asking for an autograph. It was the weirdest thing, all because I looked similar. And so I took on the persona of the guest speaker. I was pretending to be someone I wasn't. Jesus addressed a tree in the book of Mark and within 24 hours, that tree is dead. By his words, by Jesus' articulation, he performed a miracle of destruction. The only such miracle that we find in the Gospels. Jesus was often known for delivering miracles that would bring life and healing, but this time the miracle is the tree dying. It really is a perplexing circumstance. And the question that you have to ask, the tension that exists within this passage of Scripture is why? Why is Jesus so mad at a tree that he kills it? Not with an axe, but with his words. Was Jesus just having a bad day? Was he tired? Was he sick of the disciples? And he, they, they, they just, he, it was an off moment for Jesus. Was he hungry? Was he hangry? We've all been there. It wasn't even the season where the figs was meant to be producing fruit, as the Scripture tells us. So why was Jesus mad at a tree? Did he just want to extend? Did he just want to see the full extent of his divine power? He just wanted to see how far he could push this thing. To gain a better understanding of why Jesus addresses a tree in the manner in which he did, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where we read the account of the original sin. Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 says this, At that moment, their eyes, there being Adam and Eve, the first humans, were opened And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Listen to it now. So they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. So they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. Adam and Eve in a futile and failed attempt to conceal and cover their shame. What did they use? They used fig leaves. Fig leaves not too dissimilar from the ones that Jesus spoke to 
in Mark chapter 11. Whenever we read Scripture, we can always see the Old Testament and the New Testament linked. And Jesus said to this tree, you won't produce any fruit. So Jesus isn't mad at a tree. Jesus is actually confronting a tree that serves as a symbol, serves as a system, serves as a metaphor at humanity's pointless pursuit of trying to save themselves through good deeds. That's what he's addressing. Jesus is addressing that the idea that humans try to decorate or enhance the exterior to hide the shame of the interior, Jesus is addressing that when he's speaking to the fig tree. When we pretend to be someone like I did at that conference, we take on a persona pretending to be someone that we're not and Jesus is saying that won't produce any fruit. And here's the truth of it, church. You and I, We're not just immersed, we are saturated in a culture right now of constantly covering up, constantly pretending to be someone that we're not, whether it be to please people, to feel good about ourselves, whatever it is, we are saturated in a culture that lacks authenticity. And the truth of it today is we might be wearing cotton, polyester, wool, even silk if you're a little bit that way inclined. But fig trees are still being worn today. Fig leaves are still being worn by people today. We conceal our insecurities. We conceal our flaws and our failures. We deceive people about how we're really doing. When we walk into church and someone asks us, hey, how's your week been? How honest and how authentic are we? How genuine are we? We camouflage the internal by enhancing the external. And Jesus says to his church and Jesus says to his followers, that life, that posture, that system will bear no fruit. That life is a dead end, friend. And you know what that tree was? You know what that tree represents that we read about? That tree is someone who knows how to look spiritual Say the right things, do the right things, but on the out, do all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, there is no substance. In fact, 2 Timothy talks about this in chapter 3 someone who has the form of godliness, but lacks the power within. Like the Israelite army before Goliath. Do you remember that story? All the Israelites lined up against the Philistines. They had armor, they had shields, they had the spears, they had the sword. They looked like soldiers, but not one of them was prepared to be a soldier. They were impersonating. And it took a teenage boy, talking about Future Sound Sunday, it took a teenage boy who rejected the armor, who had an authentic heart before God to step forward and said, I'll show you how it's done. I've only been around a short time, but I've seen enough and know enough that faking it till you make it does not cut it in our spiritual walks and our relationship with Jesus. And here's my question. Are you and I trying to feed from a tree that does not give life? Are you and I trying to live our life off a tree 
off a set of values and beliefs that is dead? And the answer to that question, I think, if you're completely honest with yourself, because I constantly ask myself that question, the answer is absolutely yes. There are some times where I will use the leaves to cover my embarrassments. I will use the leaves to cover my fails, my insecurities, the stuff that I don't want to talk about, the stuff that I don't want to share. And so I'll use the leaves to cover up. And I pretend that I'm not broken, that I'm not needy, that I'm not hopeless, that I've got it all together. And we project this perfection to people. Jesus says there's no life there. It's a pointless pursuit. Best advice that I ever received as a young preacher was if you ever preach from a place of weakness, you'll never lack material. And I wonder today, are you exhausted and tired of putting on the leaves every single day? When you wake up, you say to yourself that internal chatter, here we go again. I wonder today whether they'll see the real me or do I have to keep projecting this false impression so people will accept me, so people will like me, so I can fit in in the environment. Are you tired of endeavouring to be better, to self-help, try harder? Or maybe you're overwhelmed with anxiety because you're trying to look right in every environment, whether it be in your workplace friendship, social circles, trying to say all the right things. And then after a conversation, you're driving home and you overanalyze it. Oh, I hope they didn't get offended when I said that. We're constantly covering up the real us. Are we trying to decorate the exterior of our life to cover the interior? And you know what? Inside the church, I think the pressure is even more intensified. I think over the years, churches have done a really poor job where we've made our platforms and we've made our pulpits pictures of perfection. And people are like, there's no way that I can live up to that. And so then when we become involved in a church community, we struggle to be authentic, we, we, we struggle to be honest with the community, with pastoral leaders, because we're so afraid of the shame and we haven't learnt from the Garden of Eden. When God went looking for Adam and Eve and they were hiding. Sure, God was heartbroken because of the original sin, but I think also think that God was heartbroken because his own flesh and blood were hiding from him. They were created in the image of God, and don't God was like, Don't you know my heart? And they went and hid from their father, struggled to be honest and vulnerable and authentic. Jesus says to you and to me today, stop it. No more leaves. No more trying to eat from a tree that is dead. You know what Jesus desires? He desires authenticity from you. He desires vulnerability. He desires honesty. Man, it's refreshing when you can be honest with God. You should try journaling and write down your deepest, darkest thoughts refreshing knowing that God can handle it. He's not intimidated by it, friend. You know, we sing this song at Civic Youth, and I'm not going to sing it because it would cause a mass evacuation, but one of the lines is, even if it's broken, 
You'll have it all. And I absolutely, it brings me undone every single time. Even if it's broken, he still wants it. And yet we think that we have to get the super glue, the arrow diet, we have to fix it all up for God to accept me. God's like, if it's messed up, if it's jacked up, if it's broken, I want it all. And I want you to be honest with me. Leaves can't transform you. They can't save you. They can't advance you. They can't improve you. In fact, they hinder more than they help. And so I wonder as a church whether we could be resolved in our own walk with Jesus today. No more leaves. Leave the leaves behind. Jesus is never occupied with the exterior of your life. He's always interested on what's going on the inside. Jesus says, I'm not interested whether you look right. I'm not concerned whether you sound right. I'm only occupied with what's on the inside. As followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that it's the Holy Spirit, not us, that produces the power to produce fruit. We talked about that last week on Pentecost Sunday, Galatians chapter 5. It's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit, not us. Not through us being better and trying harder. It's the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15 verse 4 says, For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. That's Jesus speaking to his followers. When we bear fruit, love, joy, patience, self-control, kindness, when we bear those kind of fruit, it's not for our glory, it points to the glory of God. Years ago, I went to an agricultural college and studied for two years and I learned many things at that college, including how to chew grass and wear giant belt buckles and tight jeans and say g'day. I learned lots of things at Ag College. But one of the things I also learned is that in order for a plant to grow, it needed three things. Water, sunlight, and soil. It was money well spent, friend. In fact, the lecturer often talked about the volume of the water and and the sunlight, but also the nutrients in the soil, depending on what they were, would often determine the harvest or the size of the fruit produced. What was in the soil would often be directly related to how big the fruit or how bountiful the harvest would be. And it's exactly the same for our hearts. We know that it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. But our heart, the soil of our heart requires three things. That's our responsibility and response. The the Holy Spirit produces the fruit, but our responsibility is to ensure that uh, that the soil of our heart is conducive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So here's three things that I believe that we should have in our heart. What does the what does the heart and soil look like to produce fruit in our lives? First one is humility. The most liberating words that you can say sometimes is I don't know. So often we feel like we have to have all the answers. We have to have it all figured out. But sometimes it's actually recognizing The world only needed one saviour and his name's not Jared, his name's Jesus Christ. 
and I don't know. It takes the pressure off you. Humility. Here's the second ingredient to the healthy soil of our hearts, brokenness. Somewhere, somehow in church, we've allowed ourselves to think that weakness is not a strength. And yet scripture contradicts that thought. What does the Bible say? What does Paul say? It's in my weakness that he is strong. It's you getting to that place of, I can't do this on my own. Secondly, who told you that you had to do it? It's when you get to the end of your tether, when you get to the end of your rope and you realize, I cannot do this, do this and there's a brokenness. When I am weak, he is strong. And here's the third one. Humility, brokenness. Some of you won't like this. Teachability. Teachability. Being used in the kingdom of God is not age dependent. It's change dependent. I've heard comments over the years. Ah, civic church is just for the young people. No, it's not. It's for the people that are young at heart. You know, you can be 70 and you can be young at heart. Point in case, our senior pastor. I just revealed his age, I'm sorry. It's not age dependent, friend, it's change dependent. You could be walking with Jesus for decades. What does Jesus talk about? Having a child-like faith. God, show me new things. Continually teach me your ways. I never want to get familiar with God. I always want there to be a reverence and a respect and a curiosity into the things of God, into the kingdom. And when we have those things, humility, brokenness, teachability, when we have those as the soil ingredients of our heart, you watch the Holy Spirit go to work. You watch the fruit being produced off your life, friend. It'll be the complete opposite of the fig tree that Jesus cursed. You know what Jesus said to the religious people, the churchy people of the day when he walked the earth? He said, I came for people who knew they were sick, not the ones who thought they were well. A prerequisite for following Jesus, this won't be news to many of us, a prerequisite to following Jesus is knowing that you can't do it. It's time to take the leaves off. It's time to be real. I'm always encouraged when I read my Bible and I read about the characters and the stories, Noah, Moses, Joshua, Aaron, Ruth, all the great heroes of the Old Testament, even people like Peter in the New Testament. I'm always encouraged because you see their failings and their flaws and their struggles and their striving. And yet God so used them in incredible ways. That's got to be an encouragement for the modern day church. That God's not after your perfection. Even if it's broken, He'll have it all. Sometimes God will produce the best fruit in your failings. 
He's a real God. So let's get real with him. Because when we get real, we get free. Come on, why don't you stand with me? Just a few moments, I'm going to get the team to just lead us in some worship. And this is what I would love you to consider. This is what I'd love you to, to really think about. Just as the team sings and just in your own moment, just where you're standing. I'd love you to think about where are the areas of my life that I've covered up? And for some of you, as I've been sharing this morning, you already know. The Holy Spirit's already been talking to you. And it's really, really easy to identify the areas that you've been covering up because it's the stuff that you don't want to talk about. Maybe it's the stuff that only one, two, maybe no one knows about. Stuff that you've been putting fig leaves on for too long. When we get real, we get free. Adam and Eve covered their shame. God does not want you to live in shame, friend. When he was on the cross and he says, it is finished. He was talking about shame, guilt and condemnation. It's finished. And so just in these few moments, just a time of reflection and then respond. Have a conversation with God today. Could be the start of a whole new life for you. God, I, I want to be real with you. I want to be honest with you. I don't know how, but I want to try. I want to be vulnerable. I want to take it all off. It's you and me. I want to be teachable. I want to be humble. I want to be broken. And you watch the fruit being produced off your life. So come on, why don't we do that?